Hello, I'm Mita Mystery, and this is Healing Place, the podcast that explores how we can heal our mind, body, and emotions using science-based tools and natural healing methods. Today, I chat with Henika Patel. Henika is the founder of the School of Sensual Arts, a tantra and yoga teacher, and soon-to-be author. After experiencing depression following a series of losses, Henika left her corporate job and returned to her roots where she spent several years living and studying in Asia, learning from incredible guides in India and the Far East. Now, she combines Dantra yoga, bodywork, dance and art to help empower people to achieve optimal well-being. Henika's work has been featured on Channel 4, the BBC and Apple TV, and she's a thought leader on the topic of cultural appropriation. In this episode, we explore the healing power of Tantra Yoga, reclaiming sensuality, turning pain into power, nourishing the heart, self-acceptance, upholding cultural roots of Tantra, and Henika gives beautiful, actionable practices to ignite your spark and shake off numbness from heartbreak, panic, and anxiety. Let's meet Henika. Thank you for joining me on Healing Place, Henika. I'm so excited to have you here today and so honoured. I'm really curious about your work and also the current projects that you're working on. And I really want to say I love your social media, especially your recent posts about the sari and the bra, which we can have a little talk about as well. So tell us, how are you? And and also what led you to getting into tantra? Yeah, yeah. See, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here and share or shed light on such a misunderstood, ancient, beautiful path that belongs to the Indian ancestral lineage. Um, And yeah, I mean, my journey into Tantra, it's twofold, really. I mean, I grew up, um, like many of us do in, in British Asian households, with abundant rituals happening through morning puja and festivals through the year like Novratri which is the nine nights celebrating the divine feminine and the goddess and all sorts of things where I was kind of in touch with some of them but I didn't really know why they were happening and so as I grew up and I think when you grow up in western education there's this big why you start to question why (laughs) and um, I was finding that um, actually the 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 elders in my family weren't really able to give the answers that I was looking for because um, you know these traditions are ones of practice really you don't really need to know why you just do them and you feel the effects of them and then I experienced several griefs in my kind of early teens and I studied law I kind of chose to go and live in my head um, and I thought this is a good way of understanding the world but when I finished my degree and I went to work in law I realized I had so many questions left in my head that my legal degree couldn't really answer and actually I realized these questions weren't just in my head they were in my heart so then I I was already living in in Asia at that point I was living in Beijing and I actually spent several years um, studying with local guides um, studying with local teachers in Asia in India in Thailand in the Philippines um, monks um, and just learning a lot more about the traditions that I grew up with and starting to answer some of those whys that I had some of the whys around life some of the whys around death and how to make that experience between you know being born and dying how to make that experience as 
joyful, as pleasure-filled, as purpose-filled as we can in this human experience. So yeah, so that's sort of how I refound, I would say, the practices. And what I was discovering when I was doing a lot of that work there was that I'd grown up around a lot of these rituals and they were so abundantly in my home, but I just didn't know that they were belonging to something called Tantra at that point, which for anyone who's listening and is thinking, isn't that just a sex cult thing? Which is what it has unfortunately been cherry-picked as in the West, um, the same way that yoga has been cherry-picked as something to do with physicality and flexibility. Tantra has been cherry-picked in the West as being to do with sex. And I won't deny that sex is not a part of Tantra. There is a part of Tantra that is about sex, but it's about 1% of the entire ocean of Tantra. And so it's just this hugely misunderstood path that has so many incredible tools, rich tools for all of us to grow deeper in our connection with ourselves and with life and with others. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And that's so interesting what you say about Tantra and, and the association with sex, because I've asked around lots of people, when I say Tantra yoga to you, what comes to your mind? And every single person has said sex. And we know that's not true. So really, can you help us demystify it? What is involved in Tantra as an art form? Yeah, absolutely. So if you break down etym- etymologically, tan means to expand and tra is an instrument. So tantra is actually any instrument which allows us to expand our consciousness. So one of the reasons why tantra is misunderstood to be sex is because tantra is this path that doesn't deny or reject any natural part of life. So it says working is a part of life, it says eating is a part of life, it says uh, sex is a part of life, it's how we evolve the human species. So rather than repress all of what we think is right and what we think is wrong for people, we can give people tools in which they can um, learn to expand their consciousness through all of these. So there's in one path of Dantra, the left side of of Dantra, and there are 64 different schools of Dantra, probably even more if you go more deeply into it, you know. And um, in one of those schools, there's something called the five M's. And the five M's are five, you could say products or five things which are used as tools of meditation. So one of them is fish, one of them is wine, one of them is meat, one of them is sex, and so on. And so all these things that we don't really necessarily associate with the traditional spiritual path in India are actually brought into the Dantric practice in this one school, bear in mind it's one school, as a tool of meditation. And what would happen during during the time that these these things would be given by the guru or the teacher to a disciple, to a student. It wouldn't be, I'll just go and have all of these things at once and have a great party. They'd be given as tools to someone who has studied their energy body for a very long time. So you'd be asked to see how your consciousness, how your inner world fluctuates when you're in contact with these different things. So it's really this very experimental path. It's a path of making your body the laboratory. And because it's when it came around in the sixth century, you know, this was very unusual. And so it caused a lot of scare in society. How could you possibly use sex as a tool of meditation? How could you possibly bring in um meat and fish and wine 
to understand yourself, to expand your sense of consciousness. We're actually saying it's probably more dangerous to repress all of these things and then see what happens. So it's really about weaving in life exactly as it is and bringing more acceptance to all parts of life with awareness. Wow, I love that. So it sounds like it's a deep dive and a journey of self-discovery and embracing everything, all aspects of it, the good, the bad. Or So this whole thing about alcohol and fish and meat, because traditionally those are not seen as good in, in the Asian culture. Is that, am I right in thinking that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think in traditional Vedic paths, you know, these are things that will bring you jitta. These are things that will bring you fluctuations to your to your natural state. And so to have this quite almost like a rebellion to what was that norm, you know, that norm of austerity, that norm of going into the cave, that norm of um, not rejecting life, but what, abstaining from life is probably a better word in order to pursue our spiritual practices that was the norm and when Dantra came around it was really very revolutionary in so many different ways um, one way is that it it said it was the spiritual path for the everyday householder which means that it gave us tools in which we can live as workers we can live as wives we can live as husbands we can live as children as teachers whatever we do and still live a spiritual life without having to leave it all and um, still be connected to those practices. Um, so it's quite revolutionary in that way. And it's also quite revolutionary because it allows women to come to the forefront of spirituality in, in a culture where traditionally, you know, in the Brahma, Brahman caste, it would only be men usually that would perform ceremonies. Um, and what Dantra said is that Shakti, like this beautiful power, this creative dynamic power of, of the world of the universe is so naturally bestowed in a body belonging to somebody who can give life um, and so it really allowed women to step to the forefront of creativity and the forefront of spirituality because it says that we have this natural connection to the goddesses we have this natural connection to the creative spirit and um, I really love that gender revolution that this path brings for us. Yeah, fantastic. I love how it's given that empowerment to women and that permission to feel that power and feel like a goddess and connect with those different goddesses because they are quite powerful, aren't they? These uh, female goddesses that we have. So in terms of the tantric practices then, what sort of techniques would you use? Because you're a tantra teacher and you have a school of tantra, yoga and sensuality. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So some practices and what sort of things that you offer as well? Yeah, absolutely. So we offer a real range of tools. And I, I say a range of tools because, as I said, there's 50, 64 different schools of Dandra. So you could just offer the tools from one path. But actually, the school is called the School of Sensual Arts. And so the tools that we offer are all geared towards awakening sensuality, awakening creative life force, uplifting shame, uplifting repression and giving people tools for deeper connection to themselves and their partners. So one stream that we offer is Dantra Yog. So this is a physical practice um, and it's also a spiritual practice. So this might look very similar to what you see in a normal yoga class. But what we're doing is we're we're actually going beyond the physical. We're more finely attuning to the energetic center. 
So we're looking at the chakra system. We're looking at how we can evoke sexual energy in the body, but use it not as something that we need to send outwards or perform for someone else or give to someone else, but seeing how we can actually use one of these most powerful energies in our body when we're not using it to procreate, to actually send inwards and up. So this is, again, where one of the confusions around sexuality, sex, comes into Tantra. Yes, we do work with sexual energy, Kundalini energy it's called, um, but we're learning how we can redirect it inwards to offer revitalization, to offer nourishment to ourselves um, and send it up this beautiful, incredible system that we have in our body. So that's one way. Um, we also work with couples as well. So we have these amazing tantric date nights. Um, and these are tools. It's a way of bringing ancient wisdom into modern life, into modern relationships, because the date nights are about three hours long. Um, it's not about going out to a restaurant or going to a cinema or distracting ourselves with other things. It's about going in. So it's a date night to be with your partner and give each other one of the most powerful presents ever, which is your presence devotedly to each other. It's really fun. It's really playful. And it's based on a series of just connection rituals. It builds trust with each other. Um, one of the first date nights that we created is called Journey to the Senses and they're all based on ancient tantric texts so they're based in um, the Vigyan Bhairav Tantra which is this beautiful conversation which happens between Shiva and Shakti where Shakti says there's so much suffering happening in the world Shiva what can we do and he offers her 118 verses so the tantric date nights are built on these verses and the first date night is Journey to the Senses. So it's about how we can use our five senses in the manifest world, which traditional spirituality says, this is bad. The manifest world is bad. Connecting to your senses is a distraction. But what we're actually doing is using each of the senses as a meditation. So how can you listen to a piece of music together and feel that deep connection to the sound? How can you eat a strawberry or a ripe mango and feel like it is the most incredible, delicious thing that you've ever offered to each other? Um, how can you connect to touch as a sense of deep love and affection and care rather than something that has this end goal or pressure, how can it actually just be this sense of deep nourishment that you offer each other through the senses? So each of the senses is essentially this gateway to deeper connection and to deeper consciousness. So we invite that to be a really playful experience within a partnership. It's almost a form of mindfulness in a way, but you're with a, a partner. And I guess if you are having that eye connection and looking into one another's eyes and you're really present and you're really in that moment it really can deepen the connection I, I can imagine it can't do anything worse it sounds lovely yeah absolutely and one of the um, I know we're going to speak about it in a, in a little bit but one of the kind of key precepts in the book that is going to be out in 2024 is bringing ourselves from the mind which is already so full of thoughts to our senses and to our sensations so these practices are less about observing the thoughts that we're having and they're more about observing the sensations that we're feeling which in the modern world we are so disconnected from those sensations and that natural intuition which is residing in our bodies. 
So yeah, all about the sensations, all about the senses. And through that, we find so much more pleasure, attunement, connection. Um, yeah, so so that's what we offer in lots of different in lots Brilliant. of different no, that's great so if somebody is going through a difficult time say they've just um, broken up from a relationship or they have a broken heart what sort of tantric practices could they engage in to help them heal I would say one of the key philosophies or key practices that is a thread which runs along a lot of the different practices which I'll go into in a little bit is this idea of sublimation and sublimation in scientific terms is the idea of taking one substance and transforming it into another. So when we come to things like pain, heartbreak, which is all a form of, of grief, which all resides around the heart centre, uh, whether that is the loss of someone through life or death, or whether that is the loss of someone through, like you said, a breakup. Um, the idea is taking that pain and rather than avoiding it, going into it. So where do we feel it in our body? How is it expressing itself through us? And really giving it the space that it needs, not shutting it down, not being like, I've got other things to do, but actually going into it. And that is such a brave thing to do, to actually go into a space of pain. And then from there, from becoming familiar with that pain, it's about sublimating it. And sublimating it means turning your pain into your power. So what are you learning through this process? What is it teaching you not only about loss, but also about love and life? Um, how is this going to be weaved in? Another uh, translation of Tantra is uh, a loom, something that you weave in. How is this painful experience going to be weaved into the story of your life that makes you so uniquely, authentically, rawly you? The practices that you could do for this would be all around anahata, all around the heart centre. I'd say, you know, when you have really, really painful experiences with the heart, one of the first things we can offer ourselves is safety, like safety to feel those things. So going into things like nervous system regulation, that's a modern term in Traditional terms, it could be something like a shavasana, like grounding into the earth, um, offering yourself time to rest. Um, if you're feeling yourself going into panic or numbness or fragmentation, what tools can you provide yourself to bring yourself back in? And then when it's working around the heart center and you're learning to expand, we might look at physically expanding the heart center so through tantra yoga we might do um, massaging around the heart space we might be clearing the rib cage like the cartilages and the tissues that are between the ribs to physically create space where when we're in um, heartbreak or when we're in panic or when we're in anxiety you can notice on a physical level that the back will start to curl and we'll have this compression and our breath will shallow so we're looking at both the physicality opening and expanding the heart space and another really beautiful practice um, if you're in a body that has breasts is also breast massage as well um, this is such a an underrated way of nourishing ourselves and opening the heart center to love and also healing the heart center as well so myriads of beautiful ways through both physical form and um, spiritual form, which would be also connecting back to the divinity in yourself, 
And that's one of the beautiful things that the tantric practice does. It doesn't place the divine as something that is exterior to us, superior than us, in any way hierarchical to who we are as human beings. It actually says it lives right in your body and it puts your body as this beautiful temple for the the divine to reside in. So uh, connecting back into the way that the divine is expressing itself through you, whether right now that's through pain or later it's through pleasure, just seeing that this is this is the path that is it is expressing itself through in your body at this moment. So yeah, that's really nails. beautiful. And I love <laughs> that there's so many different ways and actually practical tools that somebody can do. And is this something that even beginners could try for themselves at home? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the most beautiful practices, I, I like to call it the Shakti Shake because I think it's one of the most wonderful ways that we can connect to sensations in our body. And this is something that all mammals do, but we for some reason have stopped doing it. It's just shaking. It's just putting on a piece of music that has high BPM, <laughs> high, 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 like rate, high beats per minute, um, and shaking your body. And what that does on a physical, cellular, mental, emotional, spiritual level is transformative. It connects you to the sensations in your body it allows you to release anything that is pent up and stored or repressed whether that is road rage from your day whether that is something really terrible that's happened to you in your childhood shaking is deep deep medicine for the body the mind the spirit so I'd say that's a really simple practice that you could do shake your body loosen your limbs connect with your feet connect to the earth um connect to those dance like nobody is watching that playfulness that inner child where you know when you say all of that I just think of young children who don't care how they look they just allow their bodies to express themselves and they're free and I think as adults we become a lot more self-conscious or you know things just change or we've got busy lives but like you say just doing something as simple as putting on some music and shaking your body and or having a little dance and really connecting with those sensations could be quite powerful yeah and it's it sounds so simple what is having a little dance going to do what is shaking my body going to do but when you compound small acts of devotion to yourself over a long period of time you'd be surprised at how impactful that can really be so yeah I would say shaking is oh I love that that's really wonderful (laughs) so to me what it sounds like is tantra is really about a journey of self-love self-acceptance self-discovery and connecting with your spirituality what other techniques are involved because I know there's tantra yoga as well which is different to say Bikram yoga or Ashtanga yoga so how can you tell us how that's different? Yeah absolutely so Dantra yoga uh, it works a lot more on as I mentioned before the energetic center so you will often hear references to where postures are affecting you energetically you know in ancient times both in India and also in China um, there are two things that the medicine systems look at when it comes to um, illness but also when it comes to preventing illness and the first thing is 
is the physical. So what is physically happening in your body, which Western medicine does do. And the second thing is uh, the energy. It's the more subtle. So how is you can't see energy. You can't measure it necessarily. But it is this subtle form that is connecting all of your different organs, connecting all of uh, the different parts of your body, the parts of your emotional, energetic, physical body. And so what Tantra Yoga is really doing is allowing us to become the masters of our energetic bodies. So yes, it's about the physical. You'll find a lot of physical based practices, as you mentioned in Ashtanga, even Hatha. Um, But when we move into Tantra, we're moving into more of the subtle elements. Um, So yes, you still have physical practices, but you also have your kriyas. You also have connecting everything you do to divinity. There's a lot more spirituality. I would say a lot more references to spirituality in the Tantra yoga practice. Um, So, and again, the way each teacher will teach Tantra yoga will be different, depends on the school that you're you're studying with the way that I teach Tantra Yoga is with a deep sense of creativity. So a lot of the work that we do is about pelvic floor. Um, it's about evoking Kundalini Shakti, connecting to sexual energy in a way that feels safe, um, in a way that you can express it through your own body. And moving from a state of performance to informance. So how can you use your sexual energy? How can you use your sensations as a way to inform yourself about what's happening in your body? Brilliant. Thank you. So what are some of the health benefits and mental and emotional and spiritual benefits that you have seen people or what have you experienced yourself from having this practice? And much, much deeper sense of self-love and self-acceptance because it's that you know the philosophy of this practice is saying see reality exactly as it is see it as part of your path and see the way that you are exactly as you are as the divine expressing itself so this deep acceptance this deeper sense of self-love and I would say through that um I've seen incredible, incredible effects both in my own body, but also in people who have practiced for several years with us um, of lifting things like numbness, depression, um, of relieving symptoms of trauma, um, of weaving those kind of experiences in. And the the reason why it's particularly powerful for experiences of trauma is because it's helping us on a cellular level to close processes which have not been closed. So when we experience something that is traumatic, um, it may have happened last week, it may have happened 20 years ago, but in the body it feels like it's happening now. And that's because on a cellular level, the process has not been integrated or closed. So what we're doing in the Tantra Yoga practice is helping the body to naturally close the processes which um, have remained open. So it's looking at where the nervous system is getting triggered and it's looking at finding ways to bring more stability, more balance, more regulation into those triggering parts of ourselves really really helpful for that and of course because we're working with sexual energy we do attract a lot of people at the school of sensual arts who have um, experienced um, abuse in the past sexual abuse in subtle forms in great manifest forms and there is this great journey of reclamation that happens with the students at the school of sensual arts so of reclaiming what is theirs their bodies their pleasure their power um so yeah deep 
yeah, deep work with that that's happening. And like you say, for somebody who has been through traumatic experience like abuse or domestic abuse, emotional abuse, any kind of intimate abuse can leave real marks and it can be very, very difficult to move through that. I mean, I work with people who've been through domestic abuse in these kinds of situations and often that relationship with their body, their their own pleasure, the sexuality is severed. And the body does keep the score like the book says, you know, your body does remember the trauma. So it's wonderful that you're able to empower these people and help them on their journey to recovery and reclaim that relationship with themselves. What sort of practices would you use with them for trauma specifically? It depends on the person, really. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend on a podcast where someone who is experiencing trauma to go and do this practice because I'd need to know more specifically about what what that person has experienced um but I would say deep deep nervous system regulation for that person so uh, through a system of titration so being able to go into the experience um feel the sensations that come up up to a capacity and then being able to reel back and do nervous system regulation so you start to expand again tantra expand expands the capacity that you have to be with this experience in the body for some people as i said earlier it might be shaking allowing that to actually come to the surface if it's been repressed for a long time for another person who may have experienced sexual abuse it may be evoking sexual energy in the body but learning how mm-hmm. it can be a safe experience when it's for, for themselves and allowing themselves to reclaim that process in their body um, it may be through breath work right it may be through pranayama this idea of being able to control the energy in your body without it feeling overwhelming and a big piece and I love that you've worked in therapy for so long as well something that I was finding when I was studying in the east is that these systems these practices are incredible for integration for the body but often they lack integration for the mind so something that I did when I came back to the West was to study art therapy and to also then start a clinical training in individual and couple psychotherapy so that the material that comes up through the physical has a space to be integrated afterwards through conversation, through threading in what's come up, through being able to speak about it. And I really find this this dual method of, of Eastern and also Western psychotherapeutic methods are the honey. They are this match. I echo that actually, and I advocate that one size doesn't fit all. You can use therapies in conjunction. So I practice acupuncture. I'm an acupuncturist and I use mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So one's very Eastern, one's very Western. And the two actually work very well together. So yes, and I love that you work on a very individual person level as well, because everybody's situations and experiences are very different, particularly of trauma as well. So I do absolutely love that that's really wonderful I know you've mentioned your book a little bit tell us a bit more about your book because I'm really excited for it already I can't wait to read it yeah I know oh Mita I know that you've been on this author journey as well and I have so much respect for anybody who has crafted and sat with the blinking (laughs) cursor it's not easy is it (laughs) and it's not easy and and laid out the research that they have done for years and years and years into this concise piece of work so deep respect to anybody who who has done that and um 
yeah, I've been on that journey for the past few years and my book will be out in May. Um, and it's a guidebook which allows people to connect more deeply, to express more freely and to love more intimately. The book is split into a few parts. It's first connecting to the natural sensuality that we have already in our body through the sister sciences of Tantra, of yoga and of Ayurveda. So these three systems. And then it's looking at what are the blocks to sensuality. So what are the what are the barriers that start to form around the natural sensuality that we're all born with? We're all, we're all born as sensate beings that experience the world as we see children through joy and playfulness and expression. Where does that go? Like what happens to us through life that means that that has to become smaller that we don't get to experience as much joy, that we can't express who we really are. So we then look at the blocks and we look at tools in each chapter on how to get through those blocks. And then the final part of the book is like the sensual reawakening. So where can we use our sensuality apart from the bedroom? There is a chapter on the bedroom because of course I'm gonna put a chapter on the bedroom and love and partnership in a book about sensuality. But I'm also looking at ways that we can use sensuality in our creativity, in manifestation, um, and using it as this tool of empowerment for ourselves as well. So, yeah, I'm very, very excited about that. Um, it's out with Hay House, uh, which is a wonderful publisher um, of, of self-development. And, oh, yeah, wow. it's going to be out in May. So just stay tuned. Um, yeah. Follow me on Instagram. Oh, I'm so excited to hear that. And, and also, I love how it's integrating and you're having a section on Ayurveda as well, because we had Mira Manek on, on one of the first episodes who does Ayurveda. Um, yeah. And I'm loving having these conversations and how it all links together. So I'm even more excited to read your book now. All this ancient wisdom that we have, it's wonderful that you're, you're bringing it to the fore. So you were saying about the writing process behind the cursor. How has your writing process been? What, what gives you the inspiration to keep going? Yeah, I think I wrote the book probably three different three times in three versions. The first version that I wrote the book was for myself and processing each chapter and all of the experiences for myself. Um, the second time I wrote the book, it was bringing in the reader. So it was bringing in the practices, the philosophy, mythology, um, and all of that stuff. And then the third way was finding the balance. So finding the balance between personal story and practice and philosophy and mythology and being quite... Um, been quite brave I think with what I'm putting into each part of the book there are things in there that I've never shared and um, knowing yeah knowing how to translate the relatability and the vulnerability of my personal journey into a way that would mm -hmm. help even just one person on their journey of feeling numb of feeling like they've lost their spark of feeling like they've lost their intimacy with their partner or feeling like they don't know where the next piece of hope is going to come from, um, or feeling like they don't feel worthy of pleasure. How can I speak directly to that one person? Um, so I think that was, yeah, that was the third version. So really just honing in. So yeah, it's really, it's definitely been a process. <laughs> um, and I've, yeah, just given my entire heart to, 
to that process and it's really good to be on the other side of it and feel really yeah just really well I I, like I said I I can't wait to read it and that's it just sounds really wonderful and you can tell you you're so passionate about the subject and you've really put your heart and soul into it so for somebody who is struggling right now and has lost their spark what would you say to them just to give them a bit of hope or to get them started on a tantra yoga practice what what would you say yeah I would say that this is a part of your journey and I would say that um, you know if we bring in this beautiful wisdom of Ayurveda that life works on a cycle and this is part of that cycle in the same way that the trees undress and they stand bare and naked and cold and alone in some seasons this is that season and there'll be another season where the leaves start to grow back and the weather starts to be a bit warmer and life will come back and this is the natural cycle of life of being up of being down of um the actual honor it is to be able to experience sadness the honor it is to be able to experience pain because it shows that we have lived and we have loved um and so to be able to feel that and to really feel it because there'll be moments where you are in a completely different dimension you know and you can use that experience that you're having now to to draw forwards that wisdom into your cycle so yeah I would say connect connect to the cyclical aspect of living because I think that's what that's really beautiful absolutely I love that and it is it's a cycle isn't it that keeps going so what are your hopes for the future of tantra Well, I'm very, very excited to be one of the only Indian female practitioners of Tantra in the West. Um, And one of my key drives, uh, motives, is bringing more cultural appreciation into the world of Tantra, um, bringing it more back into its ancestral roots, um, allowing it to have the honour and the prestige that it really deserves, bringing it away from something that is just about sex into something that is more about spirit. So I'm very, very optimistic um, about this because we have an incredible, interested community online, around the world. um, And I'm very excited to, yeah, just continue upholding and expressing how proud I am of belonging to this culture and of sharing its tools that's wonderful that's really beautiful and and I have to say I do love your Instagram account I follow you and your posts are so inspiring I learn something new every time I read a post and your most recent one which I mentioned earlier was about the bra and the sari and that was so fascinating so I'm not going to go into it too much here because I think listeners if they want to know they should go and follow you on Instagram what is your Instagram handle yeah, so it's just my name, Henika, at Henika, H-E-N-I-K-A dot X. So uh, you can follow me on there and I'm always myth busting. Um, I'm always talking about very taboo subjects that the algorithm <laughs> doesn't like. <laughs> um, and I love art. My father's a sculptor, so I like to look at art and learn 
about different time periods through art. And so the post that you're referencing is referencing a time in India, which was only about 400 years ago, when a blouse piece was not the norm, actually. Most women in the lands wore saris uh, without the bra, without the blouse piece. And it's such a staple part. You can't imagine us wearing a sari without a blouse right now. It's so (laughs) eye-opening. Yeah, so I love to look at art and visual descriptions of the past and see how our culture was actually so accepting of the body um, and so accepting of sensuality and so accepting of of sexuality um, and remind ourselves that that is actually deeply within ourselves it's it's still within us it, yeah all. absolutely and I love that you know you were saying that your father is a sculptor and it just reminded me of you know in India where you have the temples and you have the goddesses with their curvy bodies and actually their their breasts are out they don't have sari blouses on and this whole conversation just reminds me of the the beauty of the art that is out there in India and I'm so glad that you are doing it the justice it deserves so thank you for that yeah thank you thank you and yeah it's just um yeah, I feel like art is just a, a wonderful way to celebrate culture, to celebrate life, and also just to remind us who we are, where we've come from. Uh, you may not want to sit down with a history book, but you could easily look at a picture and learn a lot from it. So, yeah, I love to bring art both through um, learning from it, but also through making, also through this practice of painting, of crafting, of creating, because so much of what we can't verbalise in our conscious minds we can create through art um so again it's another really incredible therapeutic tool that we use so tell us what's happening with the school of sensual arts what have you got planned yeah so um we've been running for several years and we've taken different shapes and forms so over the lockdown we had incredible online presence incredible online community which we still have and which connects people all over the world through online tantra yoga through the month, through our tantric date nights, um, through cultural appreciation courses for yoga, through monthly shakti circles. But one of my really big intentions for this year is to bring a lot of our work offline. So we're now running um, monthly workshops in London where you can connect with that sensual art, where you can connect with shakti, where you can connect with community. Uh, We're running a lot more retreats as well. So we have uh, retreats in Europe and the UK. And so, yeah, we're just bringing a lot of our offerings into land, into people, into every day, which I think that I think that we're all ready for that now. Yes, (laughs) that's wonderful. And also, I think the way life has been in recent years with all the burnout and the busyness and tech and all of that, I think that's just what people need and want, isn't it? They need that connection to themselves and something a bit deeper. Yeah, absolutely. And doing things in community, we have just such a beautiful, beautiful community of people who you can really be yourself around. And even with friends, even with partners, there are some subjects that we just can't broach. (laughs) And the School of Central Arts, I just just creates a space where we can we can enter into those tricky conversations and look at them and explore them in ourselves and not feel judged. And that's really healing for anybody to have that safe space. So uh, that's fantastic to hear so is there anything else you'd like to share with uh, listeners before we say goodbye um yeah I would just love for you to take what resonates from this conversation maybe take a single thread um 
think what was your aha moment from this conversation and if you can move it from a concept in your mind then move it into a concept in your body which allows you to weave in a part of yourself or which allows you to come into deeper self-acceptance or which allows you to just turn off this podcast and shake your body <laughs> then then to do that then to do that and you're always welcome um, to join us in in practice in philosophy at the school of central arts so it's been absolutely insightful to have this conversation with you and really uplifting and thank you so much for your time i've loved it thank you thank you for hosting me and yeah really look forward to to hearing podcasts and sharing it with my community too I loved this conversation with Henika. I feel empowered by her story of personal healing and how embracing your whole sensual self can awaken your inner goddess and release blocked energy. As Henika says, the power of Tantra lies in empowering you that pleasure is your birthright, not a taboo. Your senses are a gateway to deeper connection and experimenting with different Tantra practices allows you to shake off worry and boost your peace and harmony. I hope this conversation has inspired you to try Tantra rituals and that this ancient wisdom offers inspiration if you want to feel better. Remember, the journey towards wholeness is an ongoing process and every step, no matter how small, is a step in the right direction. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest, so please make sure you're back here by following the podcast on Spotify or Apple. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share with a friend who might find it helpful. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.